Albert Marin once said, rising demand for oil exposed Europe and later America to oil shocks, serious interruptions in supply. Keep this in mind as we discuss today the inevitable demise of the European Union as bloc. My name is Dr. David Waralu. And my name is Dr. Ross Stewart. And you are watching Geopolitics in Conflict. We've got a big, big topic to cover today. Indeed. Matter of fact, about as big as it gets. I know, because you're talking about the demise of an, an entire economic bloc. What are we talking about here? The European Union. Yes, you heard me. It might come as a shock to some, but the demise of the European Union is inevitable. It's already starting to take place. We're seeing the cracks and the fissures among the nations, nationalism rising and so on. It's on its way. Exactly. Well, we're going to be tackling this topic, just uh, we let our viewers know. We're going to be tackling this topic from three uh, uh, segments or three sections, whatever you want to call it. Geopolitics, of course economic finance, then psychology. psychology. What's the psychological impact of those people living in Europe? Now, let's go to the whiteboard and break it down for you. All right, as we said, we're gonna be using the whiteboard to break it down to make it a little bit easier for you to understand because there are too many moving parts to all this. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna break it down to uh, geopolitics. I can spell. <laughs> politics then we're going to talk about econ finance okay and the last part is going to be the psychology part Ross is going to tackle this one here so what I'm going to be covering is my area here first so let's talk about geopolitical landscape of the European Union well as you may know there are already cracks political ones that is are emerging on the scene of course, it has to do with the Ukraine crisis. But, but some European countries now are realizing, well, this now starts to impact the economy, the finances, and also where things are headed within, with the populace. Because even Europeans are starting to realize with the, for example, inflation, with the political rhetoric that's going on about Russia and so forth. This time to realize it's becoming more complicated and creating some serious problems. And this one touches more on the psychological aspect that Russ is going to be addressing soon. But for me, just to highlight the geopolitical landscape, what do I mean by that? First of all, I believe it will make more sense to at least break down what do we mean by geopolitics. Well, usually geo always refers to geography, right? Not always. Then you talk about politics. What is politics? Basically, you are dividing it to two segments here. Power, okay? And the, last, the second part is distribution. So what are we talking about? Is who controls power controls the distribution of whatever that might be. So you can just link the two back to geopolitics on a much larger scale. And we are seeing this right now in Europe, politically speaking. Again, what do I mean by that? The division that exists within Europe. You take, for example, Germany and France, which is the heart of what the European Union is all about. 
are calling Russia because they need to figure out a solution. Uh, uh, the French president Macron said that for, for Europe will have to figure out uh, some sort of uh, a peace deal or peace treaty with, with Russia. They can't be living like this forever. And there are even some analysts, and I read some recent report suggesting that the expansion of NATO is probably what's going to be causing long-term instability for Europe. I know it's not popular. Some do not like to hear that, but it is the truth. That's what the reality is. So this is briefly on the geopolitical landscape. Let me move to the economic and financial aspects of it, which is very, very crucial financial aspect here. Now, on this one, you can tackle it from many, many angles. We're going to focus only on two or three. First one has to do with energy. Okay? Why is that important? Well, it is important because, because Europe or the European Union cannot survive economically without energy from Russia. You might ask yourself, how so? It has to do with cost, benefit. And when you do cost-benefit analysis, you realize that it costs Europe far less to use Russian oil than get it from somewhere else. And when I'll give you the stats, and we're going to put a link for you at the bottom of the description to refer to that. Europe, as of 20 and 21, which is only last year, regarding the, the natural gas, Europe imported about 46, there are some stats that I found, I'm sorry, 43.9 and 46.7, 43 43.9% in 2020, and Europe, European Union imported in 2021 about 46.7%. This is for natural gas. Okay? Let's move to oil. In this contest, Europe imported about 25% to a 25.5% in 2020 from Russia and imported about 24.7% 24.7% in 2021. Now, there are some stats that indicate uh, uh, Russia uses about, uh, the European Union rather, uses about 38% to 32%. It depends where you look for. This information, I looked into it recently because I wanted to go back a year just to see where things are. Okay? Now keep those numbers in mind as we talk about both the economy and the finance. Now there are those who argue that what you do is, well, the European Union now is calling about the ban, the complete ban of Russian energy. Yeah, they can do that if they want to. But do they know the cost that's going to cost them, Europeans, that is, to buy energy from, let's say, the United States? It's going to be about 10 times higher, okay? Let alone the logistics of it, okay? If the European Union, for example, they are now in talks with Qatar, as a matter of fact, they just signed a, a treaty with them, but uh, a deal, an agreement of sort. But Qatar made it clear that they don't have enough capacity to provide Europe with its natural gas needs. 
Okay? European Union reached out to Algeria. Algeria said the same. They don't have the capacity. So, Europeans are going to be paying the price economically speaking. And why is this important, you may ask? Because there is also, when you think about the European Union, who comes to mind? And I'm not going to be talking about the members here, all of them. There are only about two or three or four countries that matter. Germany, France, Italy to a degree, and that's about it. And why is that? Because when you look at for the, uh, Spain to a degree. Why? Because when you look at the German output, when it comes down to the GDP of the EU, it is about 29%. Yeah. I'm sorry, some of them says 29, some of them says 25%. And I think the link we're going to provide you, it indicates uh, 25%. France, about 19%. Italy, about 12%. Then you got Spain with about 8%. Then you have uh, like uh, Czech Republic, about 2%. Uh, Poland, about uh, 4%. They won't matter. Those countries won't matter. Okay? So... What matters is the engine of the European Union, Germany, you know. But here is the problem with all this. As I said earlier, uh, uh, the, the uh, import of the energy from Russia. Because the problem that's going to be for the European Union as an entity or collectively, it will be impacted but differently depending on which country you're talking about. We're going to focus on Germany here because that's the engine of the EU. In Germany, because you're going to be looking at the cost that's going to go up, it's going to shoot to the roof. Why? As I said earlier, because they're going to be buy. they, Germans, going to be, if they decide to buy uh, uh, gas and oil from the U.S., 10 times higher than what they pay when they get it from Russia. Because they get natural gas and oil from Russia at a cost. Which means what? You translate this. You translate this cost to two sectors within the German society, to the population, okay, and to the industries. Population, which means if, if we happen to be European, you and I will have to pay more to heat up our homes during winter and to cool down our houses during summer. Okay? But the problem with where this is headed, not about just the population, it's about the industries. Why? Because Germans' engine, uh, the, the European Union engine, depends greatly on Germany's industries. Well, if the industries don't have enough energy, they will produce less. Producing less means that they will be less competitive with other countries for example, China. So you can just see where this is headed should the go that direction. As we said, 25% of Germans' output for the EU's GDP. That's, that's quite substantive. So, okay? Let me talk about the financial aspects to all this. So... The financial aspect. 
it translates to one particular segment. And that segment is, what will be the value of the euro moving forward? Why? Because you get countries like we mentioned Germany, France, Italy, Spain, Greece, some others. They're going to be wondering how we're going to pay for all this because the cost now jacked up. It's higher. It's common sense. This is basic economics. So in this case, the European Union Central Bank, which from now on I'm going to use the term ECB, European Central Bank, is going to have to figure out how to maintain the level of the import of energy. How are they going to do that? By printing more money. Printing more money means what? Decrease into the value of the euro. This is no different than what we have here in the United States. We print so much money to the point that most Americans are, and I would say it, are oblivious to what's going on because the value of the dollar is going down. So, but here is the big challenge to European Union as bloc, and the way I see it headed uh, moving forward is that you get countries like Portugal, okay, Italy, Greece, and Spain. What is that word? Can you read it? I know it's not a... It's known in the financial uh, uh, analysis as pigs. Portugal, Italy, Greece, and Spain. What they all have in common is that the ECB, the European Central Bank, is buying the bonds for those countries. How? By printing more money. You can see where the problem is moving forward. Now you got a population in Germany, population in France. They are like saying, wait a minute, why are we printing more money to buy the bonds for countries like the pigs countries? Their economies, they're not contributing as much to European Union as Germany or France. So, and that becomes a problem, financial problem that is. Because now the ECB is like stuck. Do we keep printing more money, more euros, to help those big countries? But this will be at the expense of those countries, for example? Or do you cut them loose? And what those countries end up doing? Converting back to their own currencies. Okay? You're going to see the, uh, the, uh, the lira in Italy, the kashan, uh, I think, in Greece, something like that, going back to their currencies. And if they go back to their currencies, that is a big problem for the euro, for the EU, that is. And why is that a big problem? <laughs> you may ask. It is a big problem because with all the loans that the banks in the EU have given to these countries would be worthless They're because those countries will have to pay in their own currency, which decreased the value of the loans uh, that they got from the EU. 
That is where it's problematic. So those countries, the pigs will end up leaving the EU. And that's usually will mark the, 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 the end of the EU as bloc. Not because the four countries have left the, the, uh, the, uh, the European Union. No. It's because it's now you got the populist uprising in Germany, populist uprising in France or even in Italy and Greece and Spain because the inflation is going to go high. As a matter of fact, you might even see what we call stagflation when there's the combination of the higher prices and also unemployment. This is a disaster in the making, a social unrest, basically, that's what it's going to be. And this is why a lot of analysts that think in terms of how this is going to be, we are witnessing now the beginning of the end of the EU. Of course, which Western media does not disclose, the, the conflict in Ukraine has precipitated that. This is where it's going to be very problematic for the EU. Okay? I am going to turn it over to Ross to address the psychological impact of this, which will be very, very, very serious for the European Union as a bloc. If the EU collapses, what will the psychological consequence be to those people living in Europe? Let's do a deep dive into this and see what we've got. Early on in my career, I was influenced by an economist and historian named Arnold Toynbee. This guy was brilliant, and what he did was he taught us all techniques as to how to step into another time, another space, or another situation, and do some really accurate kinds of understanding as to what the people there were, were experiencing. And what I want to do now is go a little bit to the future. What will people be experiencing when the European Union collapses? So part of this is going to be showing you how to do this so you can gain the same kind of understanding that Arnold Toynbee was teaching us. Concerning the European Union, is it now when is it going to happen? It is when, not if. We see all the cracks, we see all the fissures, and it's happening because countries are looking out for their own best interest. They're finding more and more that they don't share the common goals and they don't share common best interest. So the question is, should every country be looking out for their own best interest? Well, it doesn't matter what we say because they're going to do that anyway. So the answer is yes. When is this going to happen? Well, the predictions we've been looking at say it's already in progress. With Britain leaving, mm, okay and other, other nations making very loud noises of how unhappy they are with what's happening. The prediction is that it will be complete by 2025. That's soon, by the way. Let's set a stage for you to have your own experience of doing this kind of a thing. That is, stepping into someone else's experience and gaining a much better understanding as to what you can expect and what you can predict. In Europe, how many years of peace has there been? Since World War II, 77 years. That's more than two generations. And that doesn't mean that there hasn't been the Cold War. It doesn't mean there hasn't been the breakup of the Soviet Union. 
So there's been, and there's been any kind of small conflicts going on, but the European Union has held itself together. So people, even though they've had thousands of years of fighting with each other, they've now had two generations that really expect peace and prosperity. So what we're seeing right now is more nationalism, less we are Europeans, more I am a particular nationality. And so if you're, in, if you're a human being sitting in one of these nations, what can you expect to experience? Keep in mind, you've had a great freedom. You've been living in an economic boom time because of the lower tar tariffs, the real more cooperation, the easier it is to get from one country to another. The, the stability, you've also been able to travel at will. You don't need, to, don't need a border stop. You need, don't need to change currencies. You also uh, have had the opportunity to move your job from one place to another. You've, you've been able to follow economic opportunities. Well, if the European falls apart, mm, that's probably not going to be there. So what you have is a time of great stability coming to a close and the result is uncertainty. You no longer can feel safe in predicting what the future is going to be like. Yeah, work opportunities diminish. Travel opportunities diminish. The cost of doing business is going to increase. What we see is tariffs, border disputes, on and on and on, the cost of everything is going to go up. As I said before, the economic boom is pretty much over. So what, what can you expect? Well, if your cost of living is going up and you're not earning more money, what does that mean in terms of the quality of your life? Well, if you said it's gonna decrease, you're absolutely right. In terms of a number of human rights that the economic that the European Union has ensured its citizens, a number of those rights might just go away. It's unpredictable. We know that any number of despots might take over countries, and you can be assured that human rights in those countries will be at least changed. Then we have missiles. One side arms, the other side arms, what should your response be? If you, want, if you feel afraid, you're probably feeling the right thing. So there's any number of really unpleasant consequences to European Union's demise. We have worry, we have fear, we have uncertainty, we have loss of freedom, we have declining wealth, we have declining possibilities and opportunities for people in Europe, and then we have the possibility of real war. So when we take a look at the psychological consequences, stress is the main, and anxiety are the two major things people are going to experience, and they're already starting to experience those things. This, I don't need to tell you, is not a pretty picture.